What is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to episode 52 of the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And guys, do we have some interesting stories to talk about today? The Yankees, they cut a young prospect because he was allegedly stealing his teammates' equipment and selling it online to fans while never even delivering it to them. So we'll talk about that a little bit later during our MLB portion. The NBA lottery happened. We'll talk about that. The Philadelphia Eagles, they actually upgraded the defense a little bit more, specifically the secondary, which they've been needing to do and what this could possibly mean for the Eagles going into the 2022 season. Then also we'll talk about some commitment news, some transfer portal news, and then most importantly, this episode's going to be more focused around Nick Saban calling out Deion Sanders and Texas A&M for apparently paying, you know, paying to get players the wrong way while Alabama apparently does it the right way. So we'll talk about that at the beginning of the episode. But guys, before we do get into today's episode, I do want to ask y'all to please make sure that you are following the official Instagram and TikTok of the Cover 7 with Mr. Pierce podcast. We're at about 230 followers on TikTok, so it's slowly growing. But guys, I appreciate any support that you show to any platform and specifically here on the podcast because I love being able to talk sports and the fact that I'm able to do it now and be able to spread it to everyone else is just amazing. So, guys, please make sure that you're following those two platforms. The link's down in the description. As always, let's get right into today's episode. Now, before we do, before we do, I hope y'all have had a fantastic week. I know I definitely have. We've had a lot of great news this week. We've had a lot of great baseball games. We've had a lot, a lot of great NBA playoff games. And most specifically, we've had a lot of good college football drama now, most importantly, this is regarding Nick Saban, the Alabama football head coach who's been there since 07, won numerous national championships. And actually, Nick Saban, during an event with local business leaders Wednesday night in Birmingham, Alabama, he was kind of asked about the whole name, image, and likeness rights right now going on during recruiting, specifically high school recruiting and how it's affecting the whole landscape. And he was quoted saying, I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. We didn't buy one player, all right? But I, but I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. It's tough, end quote. So, obviously, Nick Saban was throwing some shade at Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies because, in case you don't know, they just had the greatest recruiting class of all time this past year, ranking in over eight five-star recruits and numerous four-stars. And don't get me wrong, it was a little fishy. And let's all be honest with ourselves, they were getting paid. They were paying recruits. Every school in the country right now is paying recruits. Alabama's paying recruits. A&M's paying recruits. Deion Sanders, and we'll talk about him a little bit, they are paying recruits. Because they have to get these, and now that name, image, and likeness is legal, the schools directly aren't paying the kids, but they're letting boosters and other businesses that they're, um, I guess you could say associated with, are chipping in and making sure these kids, you know, are definitely committed to their school. Now, Nick Saban also said that Alabama players have made $3 million doing it the right way last year, and that only 25 players were able to leverage NIL deals and opportunities. And actually, this isn't the first time we've seen the Aggies get called out. Back in February, current Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin, he was quoted saying Texas A&M was going to incur a luxury tax and how much they paid for their signing class, which if you don't understand what that means, I know in baseball they've got it where if you pay over a certain amount, you have to pay a luxury tax, which 
it was joke. It was it was kind of joked around during the in, in the college football landscape that A and M they spent about thirty million dollars or so on NIL deals, which is insane to think about. But when you look at how many recruits they got, how many five stars they got, four stars, you kind of believe it. And then also add in the fact transfer portal kids because they did go out and get Max Johnson, the former LSU quarterback, which that probably didn't have a lot to do with NIL, but you know was still a huge pickup as he's probably going to end up being their starting quarterback. So now this whole thing did not come without some re- re- retaliation because Jimbo Fisher immediately on Thursday morning, he I guess you could I guess he announced an emergency press conference and actually in this interview <laughs> Jimbo Fisher was quoted saying the accusations against Texas A&M were despicable, and he also went on to call Nick Saban a narcissist, implying that Nick Saban, which for decades run unethical programs and seemingly violated NCAA rules en route to becoming an iconic, obviously seven-time national championship coach, which is huge because Jimbo Fisher was an assistant for Nick Saban at LSU when Nick Saban was the head coach of the Tigers, so... And then he also would go on to say, quote, it's despicable that someone can say something about someone, and more importantly, 17-year-old kids taking shots at 17-year-old kids and their families, that they broke state laws, that we bought every player in the group, we didn't buy anybody, end quote, which is what um, Jimbo Fisher said. My opinion on the whole thing is we know A&M, they spent money to get these kids. I'm sorry, A&M, the last time they won a New York Six Bowl game was back in 2012 when Johnny Manziel had his Heisman season when they beat Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. They haven't won an SEC championship at all in their pretty much decade now in the SEC. They haven't really had any major success. I mean, they've had a couple decent seasons, but they've never really been... I guess you could say attractive over schools like Alabama and Georgia, specifically where a lot of these a lot of these kids probably would have, probably would have ended up at schools like Alabama, Georgia, LSU, possibly even Ole Miss. You know what I mean? Ole Miss, in my opinion, has had more success these past five, ten years than Texas A&M has. Now, don't get me wrong. The I guess you could say environment that A&M is building right now in their football program is absolutely fantastic, and there's probably a lot of reasons why kids would want to go to A&M. But at the same time, they don't have any championships. They don't have any major bowl game wins. In my opinion, if the kid was going to commit to an in-school, in-school or in-Texas school, it probably would have been UT. And you're probably thinking the same thing I was for a while. UT hasn't really had any success. They haven't won a Big 12 championship in God knows how long. They haven't won national championships since 05. But they have had more success considering they won the um, Sugar Bowl against Georgia back in. Uh, 2018 so they have won a recent New York Six Bowl and plus it is a lot more historic which kind of does beg you know kind of does beg the question what did A&M do to get all these kids because at the same time these kids are want to get are going to want to get playing time too because the only way they keep their NIL deals is if they are playing and if they're not playing they lose that money it's the same thing like an NFL contract if they're not doing good people aren't going to pay you so Jimbo Fisher he had he has no right to come out and say that what Nick Saban was accusing accusing him of is absolutely ridiculous, and they did not pay any of these kids. They paid probably a majority of these kids some decent-sized NIL contracts because, no offense, you don't go from having a top 50 recruiting class to having the best recruiting class of all time in just one year, especially a season when you went 8-4 and four and lost to Mississippi State. I mean, you don't just magically do that. Now, at the same time, Nick Saban's guilty of this as well. Nick Saban, I can bet you money, has paid kids before 
But at the same time, Alabama has more of a culture of winning and championships and putting guys into the NFL. Now you're going to say, well, A&M's done the same thing. Name me any decent players in the past decade and a half besides Vaughn Miller, Miles Garrett, maybe Christian Kirk and Josh Reynolds that have gone on to the NFL that went to Texas A&M. Because I can't really tell you. You could say Ryan Tannehill, but Ryan Tannehill's been eh for the most part. So, I mean, hey. You might think I'm crazy or whatnot, but at the same time, I take really Nick Saban's side in this whole thing because, yeah, I do agree, until NIL was legal, Texas A&M was not that dominant at recruiting. They were good at recruiting, don't get me wrong, and this is no shade to A&M for being a bad school. They're a great school, especially what they're you know starting to build in their football program. But I do think Jimbo Fisher, he knows that he is guilty of this, and he doesn't want to accept it because Nick Saban's calling him out for it because, yeah, I would be ticked off too if now you're having to spend all this money to get kids because it used to be people went to Alabama because they wanted to get to the NFL and then get paid, which is why you've seen guys like Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, Najee Harris, Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith. I could talk about all the guys Alabama's put in the NFL just in the past two to three years. You know what I'm saying? So, besides the fact, this situation only continues to get interesting as well because he didn't just target Texas A&M in this interview. He also targeted Deion Sanders in Jackson State. And, and this is, in quote, hell. Read about it in the paper. I mean, Jackson State paid a guy $1 million last year. That was a really good Division One player to come to the school. It was in the paper, and they bragged about it. Nobody did anything about it. I mean, these guys at Miami, they're going to play basketball there for $400,000. It's in the newspaper. These guys tell you how he's doing it. Oh, the Travis Hunter situation. Now, in case you don't know who he was talking about, Deion Sanders you know, historically, they flipped Travis Hunter, who was a five-star prospect last year. He was originally committed to Florida State, but they actually flipped him to go to Jackson State, which is which is an HBCU program. And I do understand why he would want to go to Jackson State, because Deion Sanders is considered one of the greatest cornerbacks of all time. And being able to learn from him and also the connections Deion has would be great for you going to the NFL level. But at the same time, the NIL deals he would have gotten going to Florida or possibly even Georgia, U.S., because he had every offer in the country. He could have gone to whatever school he wanted to. And the fact that he decided not to go to any of those and decided to go to a smaller program in Jackson State. Now, this now this has nothing to do, you know, with, oh, it's a smaller school. But Travis Hunter was the number one recruit. I mean, this was the top of the top, right? Now, obviously, Dion and Travis Hunter responded to this saying, Dion was like, I don't even get paid a million dollars. Travis Hunter was saying, my mom still lives in a three-bedroom house with five kids, so, you know, I don't, I'm not getting paid all this money you're talking about. But there had to have been some, you know, cash in there that led him to also go there because Dion could not have been the only reason he went to Jackson State. I'm sorry. Now, also, I know that HBCU colleges, they have a great community. They have a great atmosphere. And I know someone would probably be one a part of that. I mean, someone would want to be a part of that. I mean, the bands are amazing, first off. I will give HBCUs that. They do have amazing bands. But I just don't understand where guys are acting like it's ridiculous Nick Saban said this stuff. Because Nick Saban is not going to lie and say he's never paid anyone or done anything like that. Every single head coach in college football has done it. They, I mean, they won't ever admit it, but they've done it. Jimbo Fisher dang well knows he's done it. That's why he acts so guilty and kind of putting the blame back on um, Nick Saban. And... You know, Dion also doesn't understand the fact that, I mean, it's not ridiculous the fact they did pay him. I mean, dude, 
this college football, they've been paying these kids for years. Reggie Bush got in trouble for it way back in the early 2000s. I mean, we'll continue to see it happen in college football. That's just how it is. But nothing less, I did want to talk about the whole Nick Saban situation going on right now because it kind of shocked me because Nick Saban never has really been the type to, like, majorly call out people like this, especially a, a whole university in itself because that was – I mean, we all were thinking it, but it's crazy the fact that Nick Saban actually went to the public and said something about it because not even 10 minutes after the clip leaked, it was trending everywhere. So, yeah, we had an interesting way to end off the week, and it will definitely be interesting to see when the Aggies take on Alabama, I think, in mid-October. But I think it is playing in Tuscaloosa, so obviously they won't have to deal with Aggieland constantly, you know, torturing them with chants or whatnot. But nothing less... That will be really interesting to see. We might have one of the might have a new rivalry in college football between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Now, besides that point, let's continue on with today's episode. And this will actually be regarding former Alabama wide receiver and current Texas wide receiver Ajay Hall. Now I know on Wednesday's episode I said that he removed all his social media posts about Texas and he wasn't on their roster. Well, I was completely wrong about that, guys. I do apologize. He did delete social media posts. But apparently he was never on their roster to begin with because Steve Sarkeesian said that they're not on the roster until they are fully enrolled at Texas, which um, Ajay Hall is not fully enrolled at Texas yet. So that's where everyone, I guess the media got majorly confused because he's not even going to be in Austin until next week where he will begin summer classes and summer workouts with the team. So for you Texas fans, there's no need to worry. The media made a big deal out of this when Obviously, there was nothing to be a big deal made out of. He will be with the Longhorns this upcoming year. He still will be their number two wide receiver and will be a huge impact for that offense. So I do want to apologize. I did not want to mislead y'all or anything. That's just what literally every single report on whatever platform you looked at was saying that Ajay Hall was kind of distancing himself from Texas, which is what it looked like, but nothing less, Ajay will be staying with UT. Now, guys, let's talk about some high school recruitment news and some actual high school commitment news. Now, the first player I want to talk about is Rashid Williams, who is a four-star wide receiver coming out of Pittsburgh High School in California. Now, he is a part of the 2023 class. He has a great frame at 6'2", 185 pounds, and he had been looking at some schools like California, Oregon State, Arizona, mostly West Coast, mostly West Coast schools because, obviously, He's, on, he's from the West Coast, but on Thursday, he actually committed to the University of Washington. So Washington continues to add on, you know, a decent recruiting class. I'm not going to say it's amazing, but it is a great pickup for the Washington Huskies. The next news we have is regarding former four-star recruit in Arizona State offensive lineman Ezra Dotson Oyete. Now, he had just entered the transfer portal about, a, about roughly a month ago, back in late April, and he'd been taking visits to Missouri and then TCU. And he actually made his commitment on Wednesday. And he decided that he will be transferring to my TCU Horn Frogs. So we get a huge pickup and a very young, and in my opinion, a great talent in Ezra. Obviously, we need a lot of inside offensive lineman help. Now, I love Steve and I love Brandon and all of them. And I'll talk about why I do later on when certain things do get, you know, get rolling but anyway besides the fact my horn frogs do get a great pickup in Ezra as he was a four-star recruit coming out of Lakeview Centennial High School in Garland Texas so he does return home and he was the 274th ranked player in the class of 2021 so great pickup for the horn frogs now the next news we have it is regarding LV Bunkley Shelton who was a former four-star recruit coming out of 
Junipero Serra High School in Gardena, California. Now, he was ranked as the 158th-ranked player in the class of 2020, and he was ranked as the 27th-ranked wide receiver in the class of 2020. So, a very decent recruit. Now, he committed to Arizona State back in early 2020, played the last two years there, but he actually did end up entering the transfer portal the same day that Ezra did, and he just committed on Thursday that he will be going to the University of Oklahoma. So OU picks right back up where they needed uh, former former Sooners wide receiver Cody Jackson, who we will be talking about a little bit later in the episode. He did transfer man, a couple weeks ago, so immediately fulfills that role. And this kid's very talented. He's six foot, 180 pounds, so can be a great outside wide receiver for them. And Oklahoma just continues to dominate the transfer portal as well. So Lincoln Riley, you didn't screw them screw them over that much in that aspect. Now Cody Jackson. The former Oklahoma wide receiver I was just talking about, he is from Foster. He's from Richmond, Texas. Went to Foster High School and was actually a four-star recruit coming out of the 2021 recruiting class. He was ranked as the 110th ranked player in the 2021 class, and obviously very highly touted kid. Committed to Oklahoma back in way early 2019, so wanted to be a Sooner for a long time, but probably due to just depth reasons, he did enter the transfer portal back in late April. And on Wednesday, he actually had committed to the University of Houston. So he will be returning back to his home area, if you want to say, of Houston. And this is a great pickup for Dana Holgerson and the Cougars because obviously they're always one of the more underrated teams in college football. And I think Cody Jackson will absolutely flourish down there at Houston. Now, the next news we have, it's regarding current Ohio State head coach Ryan Day. Now, Ryan Day, he is expected to receive a two-year contract extension from Ohio State that will run through the 2028 football season and will actually make him one of the top five highest-paid college football coaches in the country. Now, his annual salary, it will increase from $7.6 million a year to $9.5 million a year with a base salary of $2 million per year. So, absolutely in my opinion, a great, I guess, retain for um, Ohio State. I mean, I figured he would always stay with them regardless, but during his four years with the Buckeyes, he currently has a 34-4 and record, including a 23-1 and run against Big Ten opponents. So, obviously, that only Big Ten loss coming from Michigan last season. So, great, great keep for the Ohio State Buckeyes. I mean, there's no doubt he's going to stay with them. I mean, you can't get any bigger than Ohio State unless you're going to go to probably an SEC school, which will pay you, I mean, some dumb amount of money. But nothing less, Ohio State does keep their head coach for at least another six years. So great get for Ohio State. And then finally, the last college football news that I did want to talk about, and this is regarding the Pac-12 conference. Now, as we all know, the Pac-12, Big Ten, and the ACC all agreed on making a alliance, if you want to say, where they'll be able to play one another each from each conference every single year in the next up you know next couple years so they envision that each of their teams will play probably two games home and away each season against teams from the other two conferences so this was something huge that happened late I think in August of last year but the Pac-12 just continues to actually diverse their conference and they announced on Wednesday that the Pac-12 they will now not have any more divisions in their conference and instead for the conference championship game it will be the two teams with the highest conference winning percentage in the title game so i think this is absolutely fantastic because it now it 
you know, finally allows for the two best literal teams in the Pac-12 to face off against each other. So we could possibly see Utah and USC, USC versus Oregon, or maybe we see Oregon and Utah again. Now it does not matter because we don't have to worry about North and South divisions anymore in the Pac-12. Now the ACC is also looking to implement a new scheduling model as soon as 2023, which will probably be the same way as the Pac-12, but we'll have to wait until next year. So I'm glad that teams are kind of starting to do this because it does kind of ruin it where not that the best team isn't getting into the championship, the you know conference championship game. It's more just who won that division. And, for example, the North has always kind of been eh, like Washington State, Washington, Oregon State, Oregon, those type of schools. You know, not the – I mean, normally Oregon will run the North in the um, Pac-12 and then USC – sometimes UCLA, those schools which are in the south, they'll normally run that as well. So it's never really truly the best teams. And now that the Pac-12 is actually scrapping this divisions, I think it'll allow a lot more people to actually want to watch these games instead. You know, I mean, just because it allows a lot more competition because teams are actually going to want to try and win, you know, instead of it just being, oh, well, you know, we aren't going to be able to win our division. Instead, it's more of, okay, we can actually compete and we can you know, always have a chance for the Pac-12 championship and be able to win it. So anyways, guys, that is it for today's college football segment. That whole Nick Saban situation, I'll continue to update you all on because I think it's only going to continue to grow and grow and grow because we're going to see a lot more coaches probably speak out about it and the whole NIL thing. And maybe we might see some Saban assistants actually talk about some things that, you know, Nick Saban has done in the past because Jimbo Fisher even said it himself, Nick Saban's not as innocent as he might sound. So, Anyway, guys, let's talk about some NFL news. Now, we actually don't have a lot of NFL news. There's really only two things to talk about today. But the first news I do want to talk about is the Philadelphia Eagles and former Giants and Panthers cornerback James Bradbury. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles don't want to say they're very thin at the cornerback position because they're not. Obviously, they got Darius Slay as their QB1. But there's a, lot, there's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to who could be a solidified cornerback too for the Eagles because they lost Steven Nelson to free agency, Avante Maddox, who's more of a slot corner. So they needed someone else to be on the outside, and that is exactly what they got in former Giants cornerback James Bradbury. Now, James Bradbury, he was a Pro Bowl cornerback during the 2020 season. Obviously, very talented guy and will fill immediately right in that role, the cornerback too, right next to Darius Slay. And, the Eagles just continue to dominate the offseason. In my opinion, I feel like they've done the most to grow their team. I mean, they went out and got Hassan Reddick to fill the opposite edge of the um, defensive line as well with, you know, with Derek Barnett. They went out and also drafted Georgia linebacker N'Kobe Dean, who was absolutely stud steal at in the third round because no one expected him to even fall that far. So the fact they even got him at the third round while also still getting Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle from Georgia, who's an absolute monster of a human being so this Eagles team could possibly look to win the NFC East and it hurts to say as a Cowboys fan but I do think that the the Eagles generally do have a chance to be able to make a, a decent play, playoff push come the 2022 season so I still think the biggest hole they have currently is their quarterback position nothing against Jalen Hurts but I don't think the Eagles themselves are certain that you know he will be their starting quarterback go long term or it might just be one of those bridge quarterbacks or just you know kind of band-aid fix until you're able to actually you know close the wounds so 
we'll figure that out. This is really more of a make-it-break-it year for Jalen Hurts because this year he has no excuse. They went out and got A.J. Brown as well, the star wide receiver from the Tennessee Titans. Now he'll have a wide receiver core that consists of A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Zach Paschal, Jalen Rager, Greg Ward, Deion Kane, John Hightower. I mean, they are stacked at the wide receiver position. And then not to add on the fact, the tight end group as well with Dallas Goddard. And they also went out and got SMU tight end Grant Calcaterra, who I absolutely loved watching during his time at Oklahoma. So the Eagles are going to be sneaky good this year. And don't count them out to make a, de a, a deep playoff push this year. Now, the final news that I want to talk about for the NFL, this is regarding the Indianapolis Colts. They actually went out and decided, you know, we needed some more depth in the running back position. And that's exactly what they got. So they went out and signed former Denver Broncos running back and Miami Dolphins running back Philip Lindsay to a one-year deal. Now, this is probably a name that y'all have not heard for a while, but in case you don't know who Philip Lindsay was, he was a four-year starter at the University of Colorado, hometown kid, and he actually went undrafted in the 2018 draft, but was picked up by the Denver Broncos and actually went, actually made a Pro Bowl in his first year. So, it was amazing. It's kind of one of those true underdog stories where no one expected him to do really anything but he actually did pile up a thousand rushing yards and nine touchdowns on just 192 carries during his rookie year which was absolutely amazing and then to follow up that same the next year in 2019 he actually had another 1,000 yard season and seven touchdowns as well which he proved to be a great receiving back out of the backfield because he also caught 35 passes in both of his two seasons so it was a very you know very great running back, but as, as it always seems, running backs' injuries absolutely derailed his career. A toe injury actually knocked him out during his third season, and then he eventually would have a lot of knee and hip injuries, which eventually led Denver to put Philip Lindsay on the injured reserve, and then he would eventually end up getting released. So it was rough to see, you know, Lindsay kind of take a downfall for the worst because he was such a talented kid. I mean, if you watched him at all during his time with the, uh, not the Colts, but with the Broncos, you knew he was absolutely fantastic. But then he actually did sign with Miami during the, I think it was about the end of the season. and didn't really have an amazing year. I mean, the Miami Dolphins as a whole, their rushing attack was pretty much non-existent because they only had about three yards of carry, which was the second worst rushing group in the NFL. So, it just never really worked, but Lindsey's actually getting a second chance in Indianapolis as now he will be able to compete for a roster spot. That actually will put him in the backfield of one of the better running back rooms in the NFL. Now also at the same time, you know, the Indianapolis Colts, they definitely did add a lot of talent in the running back room via the draft. They also went out and got um, Oregon C.J. Verdell, who could have been a potential second or third round pick a couple years ago, so obviously he's very talented. They went on and got Florida International running back Devontae Price and Washington State's running back Max Borgie. So definitely there's going to be a lot of competition. I think Phil Lindsay will be easily be able to take the running back three spot because Naheem Nines will obviously be right behind um, uh, Jonathan Taylor simply for the fact what he's able to do in the backfield as a re as a receiving back and as a rushing back as well. So, and then obviously Jonathan Taylor will be there, you know, all pro running back Jonathan Taylor. He'll be there running back one for the future. But I'm glad to see at least Philip Philip Lindsay get another chance in the NFL. Now, guys, that is it for today's NFL news. Like I said, not really too too much went on, but the Philadelphia Eagles they continue to improve their team and. I mean, they've got some decent expectations going into the 2022 season. Now, anyways, guys, let's talk about the NBA lottery. Now, the NBA lottery, it did take place on Tuesday, May the 17th. And I'm just going to kind of list off the order. I'm not going to go in depth with it, but I'll make sure I do give you all a decent description. 
Now, for the first overall pick, the Orlando Magic actually won that, which, I, I mean, kind of shocked me. I thought probably OKC or, you know, maybe the Knicks, who finally could get off that dry spree of never being able to get the number one overall pick, that it might actually snap. But the Orlando Magic actually got the number one pick. For the second overall pick, the Oklahoma City Thunder. For the third round pick, the Houston Rockets. The fourth round pick, the Sacramento Kings, which in my opinion are the team that needs that first round pick more than anything. For the fifth overall pick, the Detroit Pistons. For the sixth overall pick, the Indiana Pacers. For the seventh overall pick, the Portland Trailblazers. For the eighth overall pick, the New Orleans Pelicans. For the ninth overall pick, the San Antonio Spurs. For the tenth overall pick, the Washington Wizards. For the eleventh overall pick, the New York Knicks, which New York Knicks fans are absolutely in some pain right now because they didn't even get to make the top ten in this year's NBA draft, so... I do feel for you, Nick fans, for the 12th overall pick, the Oklahoma City Thunder, which they've got like 30-something first-round picks through like 2020 or 2030. So expect OKC to probably have two first-round picks every draft for the next couple years. For the 13th overall pick, the Charlotte Hornets. And finally, for the 14th overall pick, the Cleveland Cavaliers. So... I mean, it's not a horrible draft lottery. I mean, the Orlando Magic absolutely got to be able to... Deal the first overall pick, but it's decent. I mean, I don't. I'm not like an NBA expert, so I can't tell y'all exactly everything. I think it's funny the Lakers didn't even get the top 14 picks either. So that also is kind of amusing because it's like, oh damn, because they need it really, in my opinion. I mean, if you if you watch the Lakers at all last year, or not last year, but this past season, you definitely could see a lot of moments where hey, they might need some young talent because LeBron's not going to be there forever. LeBron's already kind of planning on you know leaving the team whenever his son Bronny is able to actually be eligible to get into the NBA draft but nothing less that is it for the NBA lottery news now guys for the most entertaining news and actually the most interesting news I want to talk about New York Yankees prospect Jake Sanford now Jake Sanford was taken in the third round of the 2019 MLB draft by the Yankees and a lot of people were actually comparing him to longtime Yankee outfielder Brett Gardner who has been with the Yankees for the past 14 years so obviously that's a lot that's a huge comparison especially for Yankee fans who are most familiar with it now he was quoted saying by Yankees director of scouting Damon Oppenheimer who told MLB.com at the time quote if this one can do what Gardy did then we've had a hell of a draft on its own so obviously huge expectations for Jake you know coming into his MLB career most you know obviously you gotta go through the minors first but and then he was also when he talked about what he gives, to, what he brings to the table for the Yankees. He's got huge power. It's easy. He drives the ball the other way. The combination of the power and the speed he has, being a guy who is kind of young and just starting at this thing, it made him really attractive to us. So obviously, the Yankees saw a lot of a potential coming out of him. Now Sanford, who is a Nova Scotia, Canada native, he was a walk-on to the McCook Community College baseball team in Nebraska, where he had two breakout seasons. And then that eventually led him to transfer to Western Kentucky, where he ended up walking on again. So obviously, uh, underdog throughout his whole college career. And people love stories like that. Now, during his 2019 season at Western Kentucky, he earned his first triple crown in, in the Conference USA, which was actually the first triple crown in Conference USA history, hitting 402 with 22 home runs and 65 RBIs. So absolutely amazing season. That average is just ridiculous. 22 home runs is really nice considering he had a 402 average and the 65 RBIs, absolutely fantastic. Now apparently he'll never be able to make it probably in the MLB after the story that came out on Wednesday. Now it was reported that 
by the Post, Dan Martin, that 24-year-old Sanford was released by the New York Yankees last week after a team investigation found Sanford had stolen from teammates, which included stealing their equipment that he would try and sell online. So yes, he would take his teammates' gloves, bats, whatever it might be, he would try and actually sell that online to whoever wants to buy it. Now apparently Sanford, he also would accept money from buyers who wanted the equipment, but then would never deliver the products to them. So he literally was scamming his teammates out of their equipment and then scamming fans out of their money, which definitely probably pissed a lot of people off. But I do hope he, you know, eventually can figure it out. Now apparently he did sign with the Ottawa Titans in the Frontier League after he was cut by the Yankees. So he still is in baseball. But I think it's going to be hard for a lot of teams to trust him considering after this whole stealing from them incident because – no offense, I wouldn't want to be in a locker room or a clubhouse a guy with a guy that could possibly steal all of my equipment and try and make a profit off of it online. So I hope Jake figures out. Obviously, he learns from his mistakes. But hopefully, we can see him back in the MLB because it does seem like he had a ton of potential but threw it all away just to get a you know couple extra dollars. So anyway, the final MLB news that I do want to talk about is actually Max Scherzer. Now, Max Scherzer, during his start on Wednesday against the St. Louis Cardinals, he actually left and pulled himself out of the game with left side discomfort. Now, they also said that he will have an MRI on Thursday. Now, I'm recording this on Thursday, so I'll try and update y'all probably on Monday. But apparently, Max said, I don't think it's a major strain. I was kind of tight, and then all of a sudden it went. But I don't really feel like I ripped it. It just kind of got worse. So hopefully, I got out of there quick enough to prevent a major injury here because I know oblique, intercostal, those things can be nasty. Hopefully, I avoid a serious injury. Now, when he was now, so the incident where we kind of saw this happen, it was on a 1 1 count to Albert Pujols with two runners on. Scherzer, he threw a slider in the dirt, and immediately you could tell that something was wrong because he signaled to the Mets bench that he was out of the game, he was done. He felt something, you know, zing on his left side, and that's when he, you know, kind of, you know, in his head, he was like, okay, you know what, I can't do this no more. So hopefully, it's nothing serious for Max Scherzer. Hopefully, everything's okay. He won't be out for a long time because the Mets are making a huge push this year. I mean, their pitching rotation is absolutely disgusting. Their offense is absolutely disgusting with guys like Pete Alonzo and um, Francisco Lindor. So hopefully everything's okay. Prayers to Max Scherzer. Just at the end of the day, these guys are human, and they do suffer the same things we suffer from. So, But obviously Max Scherzer, who apparently is like indestructible, he'll probably end up being fine. But anyway, guys, I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I know I definitely enjoyed making it. Now, before I do let you all go, I do want to let you all know about the um, Anchor subscriptions where you can pay $4.99 a month to help me better the podcast and then eventually be able to give you all some exclusive perks. So if you do feel kind of generous or you just have some pocket change laying around, I really would support y'all or I really would appreciate y'all supporting the podcast because it allows for me to, you know, give y'all some better quality. And obviously, I'm not expecting anything from y'all. I don't want y'all, obviously, if you can't, don't do it. I'm perfectly fine with y'all just being able to listen to the podcast because that type of support means the absolute world to me. But anyway, guys, also remember to follow the official Instagram and TikTok of the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. Both links will always be down in the description. And as always, guys, I hope you all have a fantastic Friday. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. And I will see you all back here on Monday. Peace.